really appreciate that. I think it's so important for us to find moments to slow down um, and to really truly connect. In fact, I feel like church is one of the only places where we have the opportunity to do that together. So deeply thankful for you leading us in prayer and for the wonderful worship. We're going to now uh, move to unpacking Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 17. So you want to get a pew Bible, if you want to listen along, those are all welcomed ways to join along with us. And I'm going to read the scripture, we'll just jump right in, and then we'll unpack it together. Romans chapter 8, as we work our way through the whole chapter, starting verse 12 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to learn the true meaning of your word that we just read. Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you move us into a deeper and more significant relationship with you? And would you help us to take steps in our discipleship to you so that we can grow in our faith and be the people that you have made us to be? In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So yesterday, I had the fun experience of spending most of the day with seven-year-old boys. And uh, one of the ways I, I got to do that was at my, fr- my son Remy's friend's birthday party. And of course, it was dinosaur-themed because they're seven-year-old boys. But the extra special part of the birthday party was this traveling reptile show that showed up. And so uh, a 20-something-year-old guy came down from Orange County with a bunch of crates filled with various reptiles. And so as they rolled them in, there was this interesting way in which all the boxes were wiggling and then we gathered, they gathered all the children and said, come and see, come and see, there's going to be a show of all the different uh, interesting critters that are in these boxes. And it, it was really a show. So basically what it was is they'd take out one of the reptiles, show it to all the kids, and the kids would pet it, and there would be oohs and ahs. And uh, they, they had a finale that was coming at the end, and they began with the more safer critters, so they had... 
like a king snake come out and said, this is the nice kind of snake that fights the bad kind of snakes, right? And so they all pin it. And then uh, they asked, who likes Star Wars in the audience? And of course, every kid raised their hand. And then they brought out Fraga the Hut, which was this really big bullfrog. And they all went, ooh, wow, Fraga the Hut. And while all of these nice animals were being brought out, my eye was on the box because this box was moving in a way that boxes should not move. And it was making me more and more nervous as time went on, like this thing, whatever it is, is coming out of the box. And then the young man who was giving all kinds of interesting science facts about the critters uh, started to say, okay, when the grand finale happens, uh, the kids really need to be careful. They can't run up or spook the animal that's coming out. It's going to be kind of dangerous. So then everyone's imagination started taking over, like, what is in this box? And rumors were uh, being spread about what could possibly be in, in the box. And this is kind of what fear does, doesn't it? Uh, is that in a lot of ways, what fear is, is there's something in a box, and it's moving in a way that we don't like, and a lot of times we don't even know what it is. But if we're unchecked, we're just going to start imagining all the things that could be in this box, right? And in this case, it was actually an alligator, okay? And so it wouldn't be my idea of uh, what a seven-year-old's birthday party should have at it. But, of course, uh, all the kids lined up and they pet the alligator. And later I was commending my son for his bravery in petting the alligator. And he said, Dad, it really wasn't that scary. They put a rubber band around its mouth, so it was fine. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know, rubber band's probably not enough for me. But I'm glad you're so brave. Uh, but I want to just kind of use this as a way of talking about what we find in our text here in verse 14 where it talks about how uh, we can live in two different spirits here in this text in Romans. And the first spirit that is identified is the spirit of slavery. Then it says that that causes great fear. The spirit of oppression or bondage that can lead to great fear. And I think one of the ways that we might think about this is to think what happens when scary things happen in our lives and all we have is ourselves. All we have is our way of thinking and dealing with things in order to engage with the big scary box. Um, because in, in Scripture, what uh, Paul's trying to do here is to say, hey, there are really two spirits that you can live out of. And the first is just the, a spirit where you're not living in light of who God is. And all of the things that happen when you live only according to your own self or what it says like in 2 uh, Corinthians, according to a worldly point of view. That in some way, when you're living your life, not before God, but with your back to God, whether you know it or not, that there's a way in which fear becomes an ever-present reality in life. Now let me bring this into a more real circumstance so I can share with you what that's been like for me. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, our kiddos go back to school. Many of you maybe have uh, kids in school in some form. And now it's a regular routine 
that we have this kind of standard email that will go out if somebody po tests positive for the coronavirus. And so you'll just be going along your day, all of a sudden you get an email that just says, hey, in the fifth grade class, somebody got coronavirus. And so really what you're scanning for is, was this person near my child? Uh, what was the real severity of the situation? And so that happened twice last week. And then on top of that, my little girl, Glory, just went to preschool for the first time. And if you know anything about preschool, that's a place where you get a cold like that, right? That's just what preschool is. That's what happens to little kids when they first go to preschool. And normally, in normal circumstances, that wouldn't have been a cause for great fear. But now, getting these emails and everything that's going out, all of a sudden, there's this sense of fear, like, okay, what's going on? And then as the cold progresses and it becomes a cough, there's this great fear. And so I can remember on Tuesday night, I'm taking care of my son, trying to put him to bed. Uh, he is just repeating the episode of Star Wars that he just saw. Uh, to me, he's re recapturing every moment from it, which is very impressive usually, and I'm always like, oh, that's so interesting. But really, as he's doing that, all I'm thinking about is this little CVS test that I just gave my little baby girl, and I'm waiting 15 minutes for this thing to see what it's going to say and what that's going to mean for our lives. And of course, your mind runs wild with what that could possibly mean. Um, and, and, and the fear begins to take over, right? And so there's a very real way in which what Paul's doing here is speaking to us about what we do with fear, what we do with our own point of view, and what the promise of God has given us in light of scary circumstances. For the Roman uh, church that he's writing to, they also are living in very scary circumstances. Uh, one of the things that we know about this church is that it existed in a time where there was a lot of persecution for Jewish believers. In fact, lots of scholars say that the Jewish believers in the Roman church were actually exiled for a season when Roman oppression was very strong. And so there was a sense by which Paul is writing to a church under persecution and trying to help them get through their difficult, scary circumstances. And what's interesting about this particular text is it's written to Christian believers, but it's saying don't go backwards, right? Saying that's not the spirit that you have anymore. You once had this kind of spirit, but now you don't. You're no longer in bondage to sin and death. You've been given a new kind of spirit. And this is a really great reminder to the church. And it really is... Uh, capturing something so important about a difference between the way that people encountered God in the Old Testament and the way that they did in light of the Messiah, in light of the saving one, Jesus. In the Old Testament, we might think of a story like in Exodus chapter 19, when the people of God are invited to meet God on Mount Sinai, but the writer, Dallas Willard, describes what was going on at Mount Sinai like, like a rocket engine of power and light. And so you can imagine if you were invited to go meet God, but there was this terrifying kind of light and power coming from this mountain, you might, like the rest of the group, say, that's okay, Moses, you go ahead. Like I did with Remy. Remy, you can go touch the alligator. Daddy, I'll stay back. You... 
but Moses goes up the mountain, and when he's there, he's actually not consumed, but he actually is able to uh, absorb the light. And he comes back down the mountain, and now he's shining this light in everyone's eyes, and it's frustrating them. So they make him put like a, a lampstand on his head so he's not radiating the glory of God and, and blinding everyone. So this is the conception of what people had in their minds and their hearts when they thought about interacting with God. And then later you could think of places like Isaiah where there's this image of the throne room of heaven where there's cherubim and seraphim and there's holiness all around and this extraordinary power. And, and so the ways in which people understood how to pray and how to be with God in the Old Testament were in light of the truth of who Yahweh was, this great powerful one, this holy one. But when Jesus came onto the scene, we discover in Luke chapter 11, there's this interesting scene where he's doing his public ministry and he gets exhausted and he goes out to a quiet place by himself to pray. And there's something about, we're not told what it is, about the way in which he's praying. My assumption is it's this way in which it's obvious that Jesus is connected to God that so marks the disciples that they want to know, how do I pray in the, which, in the way in which Jesus is praying? It's so different. And so Jesus teaches the disciples to pray in this way, Abba, Father. This incredible word in Aramaic that made its way through Koine Greek into English, and we've kept this word Abba, this word that probably doesn't have a better way of saying it by translating it, but in, Paul thought that it would be important to keep this word in Aramaic. Some scholars even say that this word, this connected word, Abba, um, this mysterious word, is, is the spark of all of human relationship, of all created relationship, that there's something about this connection with Jesus and with his father, his Abba Father, that generated uh, the possibility for all of us to be connected, to stay connected both to God and to one another. You can even imagine like when Jesus was there in creation as his heavenly father was making the whole world and they're high-fiving each other and he's saying, Abba, Father, look what you did. Look how good it is what you have done. This word that speaks to intimacy and relationship and invites us in. And one of the questions I have for you as you read this text is do you resonate with what's being said here? Does something within your heart just say yes when you hear these words? If you've ever had your spirit cry, Abba, Father, 
there's something going on, like, like there's a drilling down of the Holy Spirit into who you truly are. And then it says there's in some way that the Spirit is testifying to itself in your innermost being, that somehow you've encountered the Holy Spirit. And in your innermost being, the only response to this resonance is for your spirit to then cry out, Abba, Father, to declare Abba, Father, to declare this ultimate truth of who you are and who God is and the way in which you are made for him. And you're given this great inheritance. I don't know what you're thinking about when you're hearing that somehow the inheritance that is given to Jesus is the same inheritance that's given to every one of us who are in relationship to God, made possible through Jesus. Somehow we get to claim a co-heir relationship with Jesus Christ. What a magnificent promise from this scripture. And what I'm hoping is that when you hear this promise, part of you is saying, I want to live in light of this promise. That if it resonates with your spirit, that I'm going to live in light of this promise. And what that means is that you're going to go to that big scary box. And you're going to say, I know this is a big scary box. But whatever is in there, it doesn't matter in light of who God has made you to be and who he is. He's up there in his heavenly throne room, holy, powerful, and strong, and yet he says, come. Yet he says, by his spirit, come. Come into this place. Come be with me, my child. And this is what it means to live a life in light of who God is. To be a human in light, facing forward towards God, towards all that of who God is. One of the ways that I experience uh, this type of intimacy uh, with God was uh, some of the times I could have with my little three-year-old girl, especially this week as she was coughing and couldn't sleep, although it's incredibly difficult. Every parent knows that. But we get to have these little moments where I get to put her to bed, you know, two or three times a week. And of course, uh, there's always a competition uh, for bedtime routine and who does it better. And it seems like in my children, at least, and most of the time, they like to tell me how I'm doing it wrong, how mom does it better, of course. And so one of the ways my little three-year-old Glory told me that I could improve my bedtime routine was to sing her Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star before she goes to bed, because that's what mom does. So over time, I started to do that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm a pastor. I'm going to throw some, some Jesus stuff in there. It's almost like, like a like a young life style. You, know, you start with the secular stuff, and then you move into the comfortable, the, the, 
the Christian nerds out there know what I'm talking about. So, so, so I would sing to her, twinkle, twinkle, little star, but then I'd move into one she knows, right? So we sing, yes, Jesus loves you. We sing that and keep singing that. And then I was like, you know what, let's move to a deeper song. So the one I remember just off of my head was from my 90s vineyard youth group uh, worship style. And so we sang, holy and anointed one. And I would just sing, holy and anointed one. It's a very simple song, but has some very profound theological meanings, just declaring who Jesus is and what God is like. And she listened to me sing these songs imperfectly many, many times. And then one day, all of a sudden, she just starts singing along in her little broken way, trying to sing that Jesus is holy and anointed. And so there we are, just a little three-year-old girl, in this intimate moment of connection, the three of us, our Heavenly Father and the two of us, trying to make it through life together. And the Spirit's cry there is, Abba, Father. And I think God deals with us in this way. He gives us life. He gives us a heart that beats in our chest. We don't know complex theological things yet. We don't know how to name everything in Scripture, but there's a way in which we just walk through life with the goodness of life, even amidst the struggle. And we say, look, I have one life, one personality, one moment in time on this earth that God gave me. But then, over time, if we're lucky, right, if we know somebody who's willing to bring us to church or to share the gospel with us, that eventually we can come to grasp that Jesus loves us. And maybe we can even grasp it through like a par- the parable that Jesus teaches with the 99 and the one lost sheep. And how he says that a good shepherd will go and find the one lost sheep until he finds it. Meaning that that until is so important that the hammering heart of God will keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding until it makes its way into our spirit. And there is this testimony with who we truly are. And that's what God wants until, 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 until. So if you know somebody or if you feel far from God, that that until is still there. That even though you're far from God right now, that God's coming after you until you know this truth, that you are his child. And then finally, we get to be moved into a deeper understanding of the attributes of who God is. And we get to declare back to him that he is holy and anointed. And that's not from a place of obligation, but from a place of intimate love and connection that just wants to say, yes, look who my father is. Look what he has done. Look how incredible he is, high and lifted up the strongest one, the only one worthy of my praise, the only one worthy of my discipleship, the only one 
worthy to take all of my fears and frustrations and weaknesses and present them to him and say, Dad, would you do something about this? Would you show me what I should do and who I should be? And so the invitation to you is to take that scary box and put it before your heavenly Father. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us uh, to turn towards you in these uh, difficult times, Lord, we need an added reminder of your love, of your goodness, of how your perfect love casts out all fear. And so fill every space, every nook and cranny, all the places we have not yet handed over to you with your love and your grace. And claim us as your people and help us to receive your promise that even though there is ways in which we suffer, that we suffer with you. And in our suffering with you, that we also are moved to be resurrected just as you were into a new life, into a new way of being. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and let's sing together.